So it's my pleasure to introduce Pastor Matt to you, and uh, he's no uh, stranger to this pulpit, this podium, and I just look forward to hearing what he has to say today. It's going to be great. Let's welcome him. Can we do that, please? I feel very welcome. Well, good morning, Life Church. How are we all doing? Because this is the first chance that I have to say, it's good to be part of us, right? Come on. Hey, we're so pumped to be here with you guys. Uh, you know, when people would call, ask us and say, hey, how are you guys feeling about going to Life Church? We would say, confident because we know that God's there and that he's doing something. And we're so grateful to be here this morning. Just off the bat, I just want to let you know what we're here to do, and, and that's to serve that God would be glorified. And that's it. We just want to see God glorified. And we truly hope and pray that as we're here and we join with you and get to know you, can't wait to get to know your names. I apologize in advance for forgetting your names. Find it about you to pray with you, uh, to encourage you, and to be encouraged by you as we continue to pursue Jesus together. Um, so grateful for this season. So grateful for what God's doing. And so grateful. I can't believe that I get to do this. I get to preach. This is amazing. God is so good. I just got to tell you, for me, the way that I look at preaching, I view it the same way that I view leading worship. It's just another means of glorifying God. It's another avenue of glorifying God. In this sense, I get to use the word of God to do that directly. So I'm so grateful for that. And this morning, without any further ado, because I know you guys are sitting here going, man, how long is he going to make us sit here? We're going to dive right into this this morning, okay? And so this morning... Uh, we are going to be speaking and finishing up our series on the minor prophets that we've been going through throughout the summer. Um, how many have been here for a few of those throughout the summer? You've been through a few of those? Okay, right on. So we're going to continue and we're going to conclude them this morning with the book of Malachi. That is my assignment this morning, uh, the book of Malachi. And if I were to have a subtitle to this message this morning, it would be Malachi, a call to return. A call to return. So here's what this is going to look like. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the book, a little bit about the man, Malachi. We don't know a lot about him. Uh, what I do know, I'll tell you about. A little bit about the timeline. We're going to talk a little bit about the outline of the book. And then I'm going to give you a historical context. Uh, and then I'm going to just unpack a little bit of the book one by one, line by line as we go through it. We won't read the entire thing, don't worry. But we're going to take it section by section and we're going to unpack some of the subjects and topics that God hits on in this. And then we're going to pray for you guys and we can go and enjoy this glorious day. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray as we enter into the word this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your word. God, we're so grateful that, it's, that you are here with us now, Lord God, and that your word is here and it's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. We're so grateful, Lord God, that you have not left us on our own, Lord God, but you've given us a means by which we can know you. God, and we pray this morning that your word would go out and accomplish what it is set out to do. It will not return void. We pray that not one person in this place would leave the same, but that we would all be changed by your word this morning, Lord God. That we would go, as your word says, from glory to glory this morning, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would speak through me. Give me the unction and the wisdom to speak, Lord Jesus, and the words to speak, Lord God. Father God, we just thank you for it now. Let it touch each one of our hearts in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. All right. Well, the book this morning is Malachi, Malachi. And it is chronologically the last book in the Old Testament. It's also the, the last book in the Old Testament. And uh, it concludes a, season, a series of books uh, that are called the Minor Prophets, of course. And uh, the book of Malachi, what's, what's the time frame for this? It was written roughly between 470 and 420 B.C. Who is this guy? 
Well, we know that he's a prophet. His name means my messenger. Malachi was a prophet uh, around the same time as the prophet Nehemiah. And so this is a time when uh, the, the, the children of Israel have returned to Jerusalem. They've rebuilt the temple. They've rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem. And now it's been about 100 years since that time. They've rebuilt the temple and they're expecting great things. In order for us to understand why is this book here and why should we care about it, we have to understand a little bit more about the history and the background behind it. So, to begin with, we know the two kingdoms are Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. And over time, the kingdom of Israel is taken away captive and there's only Judah left. And eventually the same thing happens to the children of Judah. And they're taken captive by the Babylonians. And as was prophesied, they remain in captivity for 70 years. And during this time, they continue to long and wait for the promise of God, which is the rebuilding of the temple. And after 70 years, as was prophesied, they are released to go back into Jerusalem and rebuild the walls of the temple. And so they go back with excitement. Actually, not all of them go, but many of them go. A remnant return to rebuild the walls and to rebuild the temple and to reinstitute temple worship. And they go back excited and expecting God to do great things. There's been these prophetic words that have been spoken that when this happens, great times are going to come upon the nation. In Micah, it talks about the nations coming to, to the temple. It talks about prosperity. And they have all these high expectations. They're so excited and they have to fight for it. And it's not easy. And there's a, there's war that takes place around it. And there's, there's, there's small nations that try to come in and, and stop them from rebuilding the walls. But they fight and they push through and they do it and they can complete it. And now they're done. And it's like, okay, let's go. God, let's go. And then nothing, nothing. So what happens? They have this great expectation that they're going to return and everything's going to be wonderful. They're going to build this temple and it's going to, it's going to be amazing and all the nations are going to come and everybody's going to want to see this thing and nothing happens. In fact, it's just hard and they just need to be consistent and years go by and decades go by and then a century goes by and this is where we find the book of Malachi because what has happened is the children of Israel that returned have become discouraged. And discouragement has actually moved and shifted over into something even more deadly and dangerous than that. Discouragement has shifted into apathy and lethargy. What do they do? They do exactly what all of us do when our expectations are not met. They do what all of us do when they don't get what they're expecting. They lose heart. Come on, we've been there. Where you have an expectation, where you're hoping for something that was so great, and you're expecting it, but then suddenly it, it, it doesn't come, and there's discouragement. We all have a piece of exercise equipment in our garage, don't we? Gathering dust. This was going to be it. This was the key. This is going to make me flipped houses and he'd moved his way up until he finally got the dream house that he always wanted and he built it and he put everything in that he always wanted. He expected his family just to be wonderful, but nothing changed. And he says, Matt, actually, I realized after a year 
I didn't really want the dream house. I just wanted my family to be together. How about when you go on a dream vacation? You're so excited. Yes, this is going to be wonderful. And then it rains the whole time. (laughs) Expectations trampled. And what does that lead to? Discouragement. And what does discouragement lead to? Apathy. Suddenly you're not as excited anymore about the future. Suddenly you're not as hopeful. How about that wedding day? The most glorious day in the world. I loved my wedding day. Actually, for me, I can't use this as an example because honestly, it just gets better and better, to be honest with you. But I know that's not the case for everyone. Huh? Good save. Thank you. It's true. That's my beautiful wife right over there. But uh, I know that's not the case for everyone. Expectations are high. And when they're not met, it leads to discouragement and discouragement leads to apathy. So why do we need the book of Malachi? Why did God have Malachi write this down? The answer is this. It was a response to apathy. It was a response to brokenness. It was a response to discouragement. And it was a cry from eternity to his people to say, don't forget about me. The way the book is laid out, actually, is it's laid out in in seven sections. So you have basically this this kind of this this theme throughout where where um, uh, Malachi will speak out an idea or a thought, and then he'll push back with an imaginary argument from the people. So he'll say something like, it starts out like this. He says, listen, I have loved you. And then the people push back and say, in what way have you loved us? And then he uh, builds a case and an argument for the fact that he has loved them. And there's six of these throughout the book. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go through all six of them. And and then we're going to conclude after that. And that's it. You guys can stick with me for that, right? So there's six of them. Okay. And then on the seventh, there's a seventh section. And that one is kind of a, 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 a response, if you will. It's kind of like a final charge. It's, it's actually the last charge that is written down and inspired by God for 400 years before the advent of Christ. So this is a big deal. This is kind of like his big like, hey, this is what I need you to do as you're waiting. This is what I need. Okay, you guys ready to d- dive into this now? <laughs> you guys are awesome. I'm just going to preach to you. <laughs> What's happened here is the apathy and drift have been going on for so long that apparently the people were completely unaware that they had drifted from God. I, I just want to just touch on that for just a brief moment here. Um, this is a common human condition to drift. This is a word that I'm going to come back to throughout this morning is the idea of drift. That as we pursue something without intentional uh, disciplined action, we will drift from the path what we are going to. Do, do you know that? That unless you set a course and you make a choice and you make changes to get yourself there, you won't get there. Because if you just let it go, you're, you're going to drift. I think there's probably something about that in sailing, hey? That if you just let it go, you just drift. That, that's, that's the natural human condition. And if we're not careful, we can drift so far from the standard that we've actually forgotten. We we don't even realize that we're off course. And we've fallen into discouragement 
and apathy and discouragement and apathy and discouragement and apathy. And this is what God does. He's so great. Is he reminds us of who he is. He calls us back up into right relationship with him. And then he sets our feet on a firm path and he puts us in a direction and says, go. That's what God does. That's what God does. When disappointments are consistent, we tend to drift away from our dreams. We settle for less. Have you ever felt like you're drifting in your faith? Do you have memories of times where you were so close to God, where it just felt like he was right next to you, where every word that you spoke was speaking directly to the eternal king? And then there's times where he just feels so far away. That's what Malachi is meant to address, is the issue of drift. And how does he do that? The first one. The first one. The people doubt God's love. Malachi 1, 2 through 5. What a powerful way to start a letter. This is it. This word that's used to describe the idea of I love you is this. I have loved you is the word ahab in the Hebrew. And it connotes, it has this idea of to breathe for, to long for, to desire, to go after, to pursue. I have loved you. Church, if there's one thing that you need to remember as we go into this book is that this is the heart of God. If you are wondering about the motive of God, why would he give all these challenges to these people? Is he just some big meanie just saying, do what I tell you to do? No, it's because he loves you. It's because he's crazy about you. The heart of God is, I have loved you. That is the heart of God. Love is the foundation of his motive. And they respond with a really profound question. Do you really love me? How have you loved me? How have you loved me? I believe that there are people who are walking through this world today who have that question continually on their lips. And on their minds. Who will love me? Who will love me? Does God really love me? And the Lord says, I have loved you. Now this next part I think is a little bit of a key into the heart and the the idea of God. Of what he's trying to accomplish here with this passage. Because this is how he responds. He says, yes. He says, was not Esau Jacob's brother? He says. But he says this, Jacob I have loved. But Esau... I have hated. Have you you ever thought about that? Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I have hated. I I don't know about you. That just doesn't line up with my theology. That, That doesn't really line up with the way that I view God. Why would he say, Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I have hated? So his first thought is, I have loved you. And that's his cry. And they push back and say, how have you loved this? And he says, listen, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. I think for this part, what we need to do is just take a little bit of a commercial break. Over to here, okay? And we just need to unpack this for just a moment because I believe that this part is actually a key for the rest of the passage. Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. Why would he say that? What do we know about Jacob and Esau? 
Jacob and Esau were the grandsons of Abraham. Abraham was the man that God promised that he would bless his generations. He would create a great nation through, the, through Abraham. And there was a promise that that was the inheritance that God had for Abraham. It was to impact the nations through his nation, through his womb, through his offspring. So Abraham had Isaac, and he was the, 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 the inheritor of the promise. And then Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And Esau and Jacob were twins. Esau came out first. Jacob was hanging on his heel, and he came up behind him. And Esau was the rightful heir to the promise. And he grew up under that. He was the oldest. He received the birthright. He got all the blessings, went down to Esau. And Jacob was the little brother who was always trying to get back at Esau. And as time progressed, they grew older. And the Bible tells us that one day Esau came in from the field. He was a hunter. And he came in and he was hungry. And his brother Jacob was making him uh, this amazing soup. Master chef of, uh, of, of that time. And he was creating this amazing soup. And Esau said, give me some of that soup. Jacob said, I'll do it if you give me your birthright. If you pass it on to me. Esau said, fine. And for a short-term gain. He gave up the most precious gift that he had ever been given. See, he did not value the promise of God. He did not value, he took for granted the promise of God. And he lived in apathy towards the promise of God. Dare I say, drift. Dare I say, drift. And what did Jacob do? Jacob was different. You say, well, was it because, were they different? Did God say he loved Jacob and he didn't love Esau because they were, Jacob was morally superior? No. Jacob's actual name meant supplanter or deceiver. He lived up to that reputation. He was not a great person morally. But one thing that Jacob did that set him apart from Esau is he valued the promise of God and he made it his one pursuit in his life. He went after it with everything within him. That's why in the book of Psalms it says, this is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Psalm 24. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, uh, he shall receive blessing and favor from the God. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. That's who it is. It's that Jacob generation. It's that people that don't take for granted the things of God that pursue him with everything in their heart. Are they perfect? No, they're not perfect. Are they righteous? No, they're not righteous on their own. But man, do they go after God with all their heart. Church, can we be like that Jacob generation? Can we be like that Jacob generation? You see, I think that's what God is getting at here. That's the heart that he's looking for. Is, listen, you've become apathetic and you've become lethargic and you've become, uh, you, you've, you've become discouraged in your relationship with me and you've forgotten about the, pl- the purposes of God and the plan of God. But I need, you, I need a j- promise of God. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. So he says, Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. Why would he say that? Because Jacob is the generation that goes after God. Esau is the generation that is apathetic and doesn't care about the plan of God. And what does that do? It separates us from God. And if there's one thing that I know about my Lord is that he wants all to be in relationship with him. Amen? Are you guys with me? All right, a little deep here. It's okay. You guys are doing awesome. 
We're, we're doing awesome, guys. We're doing really good for time. For God to say to Jacob, I have loved and I have hated. What? Um, it wasn't morality. Esau took for granted the gift of God on his life. He despised his firstborn position and traded it away for short-sighted move to quench an immediate hunger. But Jacob pursued the blessing of God with abandon. Psalm 24, verse 6. Moving on. Number two. The next thing that he comes at them for is he says this, you have dishonored my name and the temple. Malachi 1, 6 through 2, 9. I just picked out one kind of scripture from each one of these sections so we can kind of get an idea, a context for what he's talking about. So the one I picked up for this one is, is uh, Malachi 1, 11 through 12. And it says, for from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its food is contemptible. So here's what's happened. These guys are still offering as they are, 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 are called to and meant to in the temple. They're still making offerings. In fact, the Bible tells us here in, in verse 7, it says, you offer defiled food on my altar and contemptible. In verse 8, it says, and when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it, to, uh, it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? So as apathy and discouragement is taken over, the reality of God's presence has started to fade and drift away. And what happens when you're not in right relationship with somebody? You start to go through the motions to get through. Guess what, guys? This happens in our personal relationships. It starts out with great expectations. And what happens over time? You get into routine. And that routine starts to eke away at your romance. And over time, it becomes a form. <coughs> this is just what I do. I get up at 7 in the morning. I yell at the kids. I get dressed. I yell at the kids again. No, I don't. Do I yell at you? I don't yell at you. I'm just kidding. That's not me. This is, this is like hypothetically. If there was somebody that did this. And then I, I, I do my hair. And I kiss my wife on the cheek, the same cheek every morning. And I say the same words, I love you. And then I go to work and I drive to work and I do my work. Then I come home. Then I kiss my wife on the cheek. Then I eat dinner. And then I walk the, watch the Canucks whip everybody else out there because that's what they're going to do this year. Amen. Amen. Right? It just becomes this routine. This is what has happened to the people. They have caused a life and, and, and discouragement and apathy have caused their relationship to drift into religion. Which is just doing the same things over. Guess what? They're doing the right things, but there's no heart behind it. There's no excellence to it. They've lost their first love. They've lost their first love. We go back to number one again. That's what it always comes back to. They've lost it. So now they're drifting into religion. Now, it, it needs to be more of the spirit of like a David, who when he had the opportunity to receive a free offering to give to God, he says, listen, I will not take that which costs me nothing. I will not give that which costs me nothing. That's the heart and attitude that God is looking for. Is there anything too great for our God? Is there anything too great? That's number two. They dishonored his name in his temple. 
Number three, the men of Israel turned away from God and their wives. Malachi 2.10 through 16. Hey, let's just read it. We're here. Why not? You guys with me? Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughters of foreign gods. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So what's happened here, guys, is Nehemiah goes after the same thing in his book. The people of Israel have started to marry outside of the Israelites, and they're marrying these foreign women who are bringing in their foreign gods. Instead of keeping them on the outside, they're coming now into the inside, and they're becoming a part of the culture of that time. That's what's happening. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so that he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. And yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously, for she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But you did not make them, but did he not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? He seeks God the offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit. Let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Uh-oh. Just got controversial in here. He hates divorce. Why would he say that? You know, one time I was getting my hair cut, and... Um, there was these, these ladies that were all kind of gathered around in this barbershop, and they were all chatting as we were in there. You can picture it, right? I'm in the barbershop. I'm getting my hair cut. They're all kind of just chatting and, and talking girl talk back and forth. And somehow, I don't even know how, it just did, the goodness of God came up in our conversation. And I don't think any of these ladies are Christians. And I'm sitting there, and I'm talking to them about the goodness of God. And I'm saying, listen, God is, is motivated by love for you. That's why, he, that's why he loves you. That's why he's calling out to you. That's why you need to follow him. It's because he loves you. And we're having this conversation. And then this one woman pipes up, and she goes, oh, yeah? Well, what if your boyfriend is a so-called Christian, and she brings home some hussy, and she da 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 and she goes, starts going off on this guy. And I'm like, oh, and she's like in tears by the end of this whole thing. And I just looked at her, and I said, listen, I am so sorry that you had to go through that. I said, that is not the heart of God for you. And that man is not representing Jesus. And then the woman that's cutting my hair had a background. She was um, Catholic. And she says, well, Matt, what about divorce? What does God say about that? And in the context of what we were talking about, I looked her in the eye. And I said, listen, the Bible says that God hates divorce. And you can see this look in her eye like, huh, see, I told you. And I said, but listen, do you know the heart of God? Why would he say that? See, I believe that God hates it because it hurts his children. It reflects brokenness. It reflects disorder. And that is not what my God is about. Because my God is a God who restores. She started crying in the chair as she's cutting my hair. Because the love of God just hit her right where she was at. What is the heart of all this? Remember we talked about it at the beginning? I love you. I have loved you. Now listen, 
life happens. It's hard. There's challenges that we all face. But my God, and you can be a whole person in him. And I believe that today. I believe that today. I'm just declaring it to you. Amen? (laughs) Amen. Amen. That's what God does. God hates divorce because it hurts his children. His motive is love. God is a God of order and right relationship. So that's the next thing that they are accused of doing. Number four. Malachi 2.17 through 3 through 5. The people have wearied the Lord by accusing God of having no justice. Here's the verse I picked out. Malachi 2.17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, where is the God of justice? In other words, what's happened here with the apathy is that right and wrong have started to seem meaningless. Right and wrong have started to seem meaningless. Does that seem familiar? The culture that we live in today, truth is entirely relative. Whatever you want it to be is what it can be. Truth becomes meaningless. Right and wrong seem meaningless. That's what he's accused of. Number five, God calls the people to return to him. I believe this is the heart of God. Malachi 3.7, yet from the day of your fathers, you've gone away from my obedience and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Return to me and I will return to you. That's the cry of God. I have loved you. I breathe for you. I long for you. Return to me and I will return to you. Maybe you're here today and you may feel far from God and he calls you just the same. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, return to me. He will return to you. He will return to you. I love it in James. It says, draw near to God and he shall draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And the fundamental way that he mentions, how do you do that? It's interesting is he gets right in your pocketbook. (laughs) He says, how do I do that? Well, you can respond to an altar call or you can give in the offering. It's not a bad idea. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he goes right after your heart. He's always after your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Number six, guys, you're doing great. This is the last one. You're not falling asleep, are you? The people claim it's pointless to follow God is the final thing. Malachi 3, 13 to 18. Malachi 3.14, you have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it we keep his ordinances and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? The people have lost sight of the reward, which is God. He is the great reward. I have a quote here. I have to read it. I just think it's so awesome. I, just, I, I probably should put it on every sermon that I preach. C.S. Lewis, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling with drink and sex and ambition when an an infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I would like to propose to you today that our pursuit 
of joy and happiness and love falls too short of where it ought to be. And that in reality, the greatest joy is knowing him. The greatest joy is seeking him. Your greatest fulfillment is in his presence. There's no greater joy in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are favor evermore. They've lost sight of their reward. And then in finale, when they close here in, in uh, chapter 4, first of all, there's a, a prophetic kind of an unction about this coming a great and uh, powerful day of the Lord. And it says that there will be a remnant. But to you who fear my name, verse 2, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And you shall go out and grow like grow, grow fat like stall-fed calves. And you shall trample the wicked and they shall be ashes under your feet. So a great day coming for those that serve the Lord. And then the final charge to the people is remember the law of Moses. Don't forget the word of God. Don't forget to come back to the word of God. This is our foundation. This is what we build our lives on. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. In other words, there's something that's coming yet. There's still something that's coming. Do you know that there's something coming for you? That God has a plan for you. Did you hear the prophetic word this morning? Did you hear that word that was spoken over you? That God has something for you. That God has a plan for you. That God's not done with you. That there's something that God's got for you to fulfill. For you to do. For you to grow in. For you to glorify him in. Amen. That's for each and every single one of you. So as we conclude today, we come back to the beginning subject, which is the subject of drift. The thing that I believe this book is entirely written to help overcome. The key to overcoming drift is what? I only picked out two. I could have picked out 10. I could have picked out 20. I just thought I'd keep it simple and really distill it down. What would it be? I would say the key is love. Love is the key to overcoming drift. When we are in love, we can do anything. We can move forward. We can follow. We can trust. And how do we have that love? How do we have the love? The fuel of a love for God is faith. It's the foundation of a love for God. And what is that? It's hearing the words that are spoken and agreeing with them in your heart. Building your life on it in trust. And that produces the love that, that God wants us to have to overcome the drift. Love. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently. So this morning as we close, I'd ask Tanya to come on up and jump on the keyboard. And I just want you to, just to close your eyes for just a moment. And I want you to listen. The Holy Spirit is here and he's speaking. And he is so kind that I believe that he will tell you this morning where you've been drifting. He'll speak to you. And this is what I want you to do. Just as you hear God speaking that to you, receive it with joy because he loves you. He breathes for you. He longs for you. And then just repent. God, I'm so sorry that I've drifted in that area. 
I'm coming back to you. And I believe that God's going to do a deep work in your heart. And that we can live as those that glorify God. Maybe life's situations have caused discouragement in your heart. Maybe you've experienced broken relationships. God is here to meet you right where you are. To meet you right where you are. Thank you, Jesus. Just sing it. this morning, Lord God, that you would encourage every heart in this place. 
Father, help us to go to another level in you. Help us to pursue you in a greater way, in a more authentic way. In a way, Lord God, that the people around us can see in our hearts and in our lives. And let the evidence be clear. We pray for your anointing, Lord God. We pray for your presence. We pray that you would go before us with every step that we take this week. Until we meet again, Lord God, until we come together again. In Jesus' precious name. Masterful message. Thanks so much, Pastor Matt. Can we stand together, please? And uh, you know, if you're here today and you'd like uh, personal prayer, we have people that will pray with you at the front. If you're here today and you just feel like you would like to come closer to God, maybe you feel like you know, I, I I'd like to know more about this relationship with Jesus Christ that. Matt was talking about. I'll be up at the front for a few moments if you'd like to come, and I'd like to chat with you more about that. Uh, so we have this prayer time available for you if you'd like prayer on either side here. There will be people that will pray with you. The coffee is on. We're so glad that you came. Thanks for coming today. I'd just like to bless you in the name of the Lord. Can I do that, please? Just receive the Lord's blessing. May the grace of God and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. We'll see you again soon. Bye-bye.